that was a mental resilience thing because refereeing is quite often a, an escape from your normal nine to five and to not do anything was quite a challenge. So when I talk about why you become a referee, it's about it dealing with your own mental health. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, I am now joined by Minesh Gupta, who is a football referee and a referee developer, amongst many other things. Minesh, how are you doing? I'm very good, Apu. Um, um, thank you for having me on this wonderful uh, um, app um, and, and podcast that you run. So, yeah, looking forward to um, answering your questions and maybe um, playing back um, some of my journeys. You're going to take me back into time, I think, uh, with uh, with what you're about to uh, ask me, I think. That, those are my thoughts. I will do. I will take you back a little bit and let's just see how you got to where you are. Because I think where you are, it is quite interesting, both in terms of what you do and the things that are coming out and I guess the movement that's happening at the moment to increase Asians, Asian participation in football at all levels and all types, etc. So, yeah. So right now you're a football referee and a referee developer. But before that, like we said, take us back. How did you start off in football? Yeah, I mean, it all happened... Um probably accidentally is probably the right word if I'm honest with you because everything is about um, um, chances in life I guess but um, you know when I was probably 13 14 you know it was a fact I loved football Um, you know talking about football and football teams and you know in those days uh, you had uh, you had playing cards you know with football faces on them and um, you know um, and it was very much a case of um, falling in love with the game actually and falling in love with my team Um, and then and then creating those relationships within friends and uh, and well um, now that you've asked me um, I will say that I'm a Liverpool fan and I go back to probably uh, the 1990s so um, we talk about glory supporters you know I've seen the highs and lows of uh, of Liverpool uh, FC so yeah let's get that out there right now. See I was hoping you'd be a Leicester fan because I believe you're based in and around Leicester Leicester just had a fantastic season. They've won the FA Cup. They've qualified for Europa League, even though they're in a running for the Champions League up until now. Some of that must have rubbed off on you. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, look, I, I live in Leicester and it's great that Leicester um, are doing really, really well. It's raised the profile of the uh, city and I don't dislike Leicester at all. Um, but if we're talking about um, cheering on your team and and living those moments of uh, heartbreak as well, then I would have to say Liverpool is my team. Sorry. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> OK, so you're 13, 14. You're, you, you love football. What's what's happened? How do you yeah, so basically, I mean, you know, you know, then we talk about sort of when you're leaving school and what you, what, what, you know, what you want to do. And um, I think uh, probably at 15, 16, I'd made a decision in my life what I wanted to do. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to say become a professional footballer. That's not what I wanted to do. I couldn't, I, I wasn't good enough, uh, let alone um, getting into a, a side of, of a five-a-side team, you know, playing with mates. Um you know, one thing's a fact, I love the game, but I wasn't actually gifted, shall we say, with the right foot. Um, 
But um, what they couldn't take away from me is my passion for football. Um, nobody could take that away from me. Um, so, you know, at sort of 16, 17 years old, I wanted to pursue a career in the police service, actually. Um, and it was something that I just wanted to do. It was one of my childhood dream. Um, and, and, you know, at, at 17, 18 years old, I was probably still a child, actually. I didn't really experience life enough. And I, I was basically asked to undertake... Um, some some life experience and I, I came upon something called the Duke Edinburgh Award um, and the Duke Edinburgh Award was something that uh, uh, was 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 available to me um, and as part of that award I had to take uh, a new challenge uh, and refereeing was was uh, was a challenge at that point and I needed to do it for like six months tick a box and move on um, let's be clear I started the award in 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 at 17 years old and ticking a box is what I did. And I didn't know that I was going to stay in the game 25, 26 years later. Um, so yeah, at that time, it was supposed to be just ticking the box up. Okay. So did you, can? so what, what were you doing at the time? You said you were just playing football with friends, five aside, that sort of thing, right? Um, yeah, just, just knocking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the refereeing opportunity came up. And so, I mean, was that consistent? Did you, you did it for the few months for the Duke of Edinburgh? Did you continue it straight away or did you leave it and come back to it? Yeah, so so actually um, I stayed in the game, actually. I, I just remained a uh, referee. I mean, I, I believe Sunday, it was a Sunday morning thing, actually, uh, you know, at 16. Um, so I actually registered when I was just just approaching 17, actually. Um, and, you know, I was still a child um, and um, I, I was uh, refereeing every Sunday morning and because I couldn't drive, my dad, my dad used to have to take me to games, um, which was a, a massive burden on on my parents because I was taken away there there um, Sunday morning, shall we say? Um, but it was something that I did, and I carried on doing it. To be honest with you, and I, I, I suppose it's something that you just you just carried on, and I didn't really look back. And I'm not gonna lie, it was very very difficult, very very tough mentally, physically, and and also. Um, not having, uh, you know, I wasn't probably supported by my parents where where I where I could have been supported because for them it was, uh, you know, why you want to do this? Well, why why are you becoming a referee? You know, and because uh, I used to tell them about the horror stories coming back from the games, being shouted at, being abused, and you know, and everything else that came with it, really. Especially at, especially when I was seventeen. Okay, so I mean, a couple of things. So let's just take it back in terms of basics. So how long was the course? How in terms of, I guess both in terms of hours that you're spending on it as well as over what kind of period of time before you're able to then go and referee a, a an actual match and what sort of matches were you refereeing were they yeah. were they junior football was it adults was it a mixture sure so i'll take you right back then i mean i can still remember this now um it was a 10 week course every thursday evenings for about an hour and a half in a classroom listening to um, somebody speak and, and the memories I have are a rather oldish guy speaking to me about the laws of the game um, and, and going through every single law and and talking to, to us about how to become a referee. Um, I had to do an eye test as well, actually. Um, I can't remember how that happened, but but there were certain things that we had to do. But essentially, it was a 10-week um, course um, and you had to attend every Thursday. Uh, and then after you 
you you would you attend you do a an, an exam and you pass the course and then you are technically speaking a a, a junior referee um, junior in the sense that you you attain your your level your classification probably the badge is probably the best way to describe this your 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 referee badge is your junior one and then i went straight into adult football um which was a massive shock and very sharp end of um you know grassroots football because it was really hard uh, i'm not gonna lie to you and there were moments where i wanted to quit should have quit probably did quit um but something that's something just you know attracted me to to just take up my pick up my referee bag up and let's go again sort of thing got to ask you because you've talked about football only playing sort of five side and stuff like that etc how much experience of grassroots football in 11 side did you have up until that point none none whatsoever so i didn't really play the game i played five aside was my probably closest thing of of uh, connecting with the game, um, even at school, I never, I never made the the uh, the the you know the teams that they used to play. Um, I was not even considered as a um, even on the bench. I simply wasn't good enough. Apu, I'll be honest with you. You know, um, I was a very shy boy then. No confidence. Didn't want to go in for a tackle. Um, and why would they select uh, me? So uh, five aside was my closest thing really to to loving the game. So that jump to Sunday League that must have been it's a dramatic jump and it's it's a whole world away from probably what you were used to, which is watching football on TV, which would be the top division, possibly the second division, which in some respects to me seems quite sane and tame compared to some of the Sunday League football matches I've been involved in. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't exaggerate by this. It was a very, very sharp end of, of grassroots football, where Sunday morning um, is was then and is considered now um, probably an area where they just want to. Um, not all, not all of them, um, but uh, my experience was the majority of them wanted to just abuse the referee um, rather than put the ball down and play football, um, simply because of their own attitude and their behaviours, really, um, and you know. If I was to reflect now, I, I didn't have the experience. I, I didn't have the experience in managing players, um, let alone communication. And then ultimately that affected my my decision making. And therefore, I wasn't going to be a strong referee. I was considered to be a very poor referee when I first started off. That is, that is no lie. Yeah. Okay. And so what what happened next then? How did... How does one as a referee start at that level? How do they move upwards? How do they get recognition, etc.? Yeah, so what happens? Um, well, what happened then in those days is that you were um, every playing season you were not you were noticed by by independent uh, um, what they used to call assessors. Um, a little bit like um, you have a coach identification talent program. Um, we have spotters basically. So at, you know, then in those days there were there were classes assessors that used to come and watch you. Um, but again, because I wasn't in the in the mix, shall we say, I wasn't really good enough. I didn't really apply for promotion or nothing like that. I was just a run of the mill 
referee that used to turn up and 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 um, you know pick up my fifteen pounds and 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 leave and and it was the job done basically. But but to answer your question, it's essentially a process where you um, apply for promotion. You are then moderated by an independent assessor um, three or four times in a playing season. And if your marks are um, above average, then you uh, get invited to. Um, to get recertified as a, a level higher and then you go again and, and then you go again and then and then you know essentially that's the promotion sort of pathway back in you know the the sort of late 90s um that's how it was what i will say is that in those in those days apu the the support and the mentoring um wasn't readily available um and and you know that that's probably a, a big uh um, a big downfall and, and something that I probably missed when I talk about the sharp end because now if I, if I look at now and then there's a big difference in terms of support mentoring coaching and developing referees that come through the system right now um, to compare to what it was then back in those days yeah okay just before we move on to more recent times then um in terms of I guess the ethnic mix that you were refereeing in the way were, were there many Asians that also did the course or were refereeing around the same time as, as you and in terms of the teams that you were refereeing for the, the matches were they I know Leicester's quite mixed as a city but the area that you were covering what was that like yeah so um it's a good question i mean when i when i started out um apu there was there was only myself being a, a south south asian um lad and i came from um the sort of leicester inner city area um so i was the only sort of south asian that was um on the referee course um and when i first when i first started refereeing uh, my first experience of the game was uh, was 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 white um um middle aged uh, men that that were playing the game and, and predominantly that's that's where I was refereeing um within locality um within the Leicester inner city area there were there were predominantly white um men and I I know of no other um ethnic background from what I can remember okay and i mean look in terms of the abuse you received and stuff and i don't want to tire all of them with the same brush but was some of it racial at all or was it just general ref you're blind and you masturbate a lot or what was it <laughs> well um th- there was certainly a mixture of abuse um held held towards me and uh you know some of it was generic abuse um you know it, it's uh, fair to say that referees do do get a lot of abuse whether it's on a, on a sunday or saturday um so that's more generalized abuse towards uh, me as a match official. But um, there were times where where it was a little bit personal. I mean, I still remember times where, you know, I, I was was uh, was turned to a game and, uh, you know, that they, they sort of said, oh, you know, um, ref, we, you know, we, we you know, we, we are playing um, English rules today. Um, you know, so those sort of comments were sort of, you know, pastors, maybe you want to call it as banter. Um, but, you know, so, so I, I suppose, again, when I was coming through the system, you know, that was my first real experience of probably where we talk about unconscious bias and lack of education and uh, mild racism. Probably that was probably what it was really, but I wasn't probably exposed to that fully um, until I started refereeing. Yeah. So in terms of how you dealt with it at the time, I mean, you said you nearly quit and you actually quit a couple of times, etc. Was, was were comments like that, 
I guess that partly is going to depend on your personality and in circumstances and all sorts. But do you think comments like that would hurt more or did hurt more than just the generic refereeing abuse? Yeah, I mean, you know, they they probably uh, if I, I'd say you know they they did, and and if you know I wasn't telling that I'd be lying. Um, the the problem I had was is that what made it more difficult is that my parents weren't that supportive of what I wanted to do. So it was an easy decision when I came home from a from a game where I said to my probably my mom and dad, I said, "Okay, oh I've had enough of this now. Um, I'm not going to be going back next Sunday." Um, and then of course um, on the you know Saturday before the game I'm telling my parents well I want to do that the, the game now and then it was having those internal battles really my parents when I already made a decision and they, they were supportive of that and then I turned it around so you can imagine that that the conversations at home were quite difficult um and then equally when when you are turning up to them games when you have them to deal with the, the same abuse but then you know again you know maybe as a 17 year old you know I'm getting 15 pounds in 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 money and that, that felt pretty good actually you know I'm getting paid for this and I can actually now go out and spend money and buy trainers and and and, and I don't know buy buy clothes without asking my parents for some money so so you know it was a really really difficult um time and 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 I would I would imagine there was a combination of things that probably kept me going and and money was probably one of them for the wrong reasons um, I would say but unfortunately you know, my mom and dad you know weren't particularly that wealthy so you know they came from a, a uh, you know, we came from a middle-aged family where you know they they came from um, you know were classed as uh, foreigners at the time because they you know they they came from India and um, settled um, in Leicester and I was born and bred Leicester so there were some internal challenges uh, it's probably the, the best way to say it, yeah okay so then so I take it your whilst you started that and you said you continued pretty much so you then started your police career is that right and so. Did you just keep on promoting? You said you had to request for promotion sort of thing. Did you keep requesting that or did you have some lows along the way? And I guess the being in the police probably helped with your self-confidence and your ability to deal with with the situations you found yourself in. Yeah, um, definitely. So it's like um, all of a sudden I'd found a mojo. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe this. Um, all of a sudden, it all clicked. It all fell into place. Um, I actually knew what I was doing. Um, some would argue that now, um, but I actually knew how to blow the whistle, how to make a decision, um, and how to deal with two players that wanted to, um, you know, argue about a decision. Um, and, and you know, I'd be lying if the police didn't help. The police was a massive, massive boost for me. Massive uh, way to deal with confidence. Those skills we talk about: conflict management, dealing with people dealing with situations um they're all transferable skills on a football pitch so it was only when i attained a certain level within within the the refereeing pyramid is when i actually started to enjoy refereeing so um just for, for the for the for argument's sake uh, just for your listeners level four is is the level i am now and and, and that's the level that i've 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 remained um for for some time now uh, but that effectively is um, I'm refereeing, officiating at the semi-professional game, um, and and that's when I'm when I started to really enjoy it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that, that that's the level I am now, and um, it's only when I became that level that actually I properly knew what I was doing and enjoying the game is really important to say. Yeah. Okay, and so bring us more up to date. Then you so as well as doing the refereeing, you're also 
a referee developer. So how did that come about? Yeah, so it came about again. We talk about opportunities, you know, being there, being there in the right place. So again, um, a little bit linked to my sort of policing career um, in in terms of development of new officers. Um, so refereeing is no different. When when a new referee comes through. Uh, comes through the door they they effectively need training um, and they need um, that, that education so the referee course now is far different to what it was when I first took it um, which was sitting in a classroom listening to somebody speak now it's a lot more case of you get out doing the refereeing and then we give you practical advice um, as you are learning so learning on the job shall we say so I basically have applied for my license through the FA um, and I you know I undergo a series of training application interview all, all of that um, bits of, that come with it um, so I, I did that back in 2017 actually um, so I, I've been a referee developer since then and then um, incumbent with that I'm also a safeguarding um, uh, tutor so I also teach uh, safeguarding courses to the new coaches that want to attain their level one and level two badges as they're coming through the system and safeguarding um, is a massive massive piece uh, a part of anybody's journey you know you, you you need safeguarding as part of your certification yeah okay so and what tell us a little bit more about being a referee developer what what does that entail how much time does that take as well yeah, I mean, um, it, it actually um, is, um, it, it invite, well, basically you are the teacher. So essentially, you know, you, you get a lesson plan, and uh, which is quite generic, but then you have to mould it to the audience that you are going to be delivering the, the course to. So for example, if I give you an example, if you've got about 12, 12 learners that want to come on, uh, come on the course, uh, the ratio is, uh, the learning ratio is 12 to 1. So, you know, any more than... 12 learners there has to be two uh, referee developers so essentially the minimum is 12 um uh, yeah i mean look you have to plan for your 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 lesson you then have to go through the process of teaching and that's not easy you know t- teaching somebody um is never um never easy because everybody has different requirements uh, and it's about knowing your your classroom is no different from being a teacher there will be some some people that will need um far more um support then there will be some in there that 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 get that get it first time round um but it's about giving everybody the same um opportunity and i must stress this is an opportunity for all you haven't got to be um a graduate to come on the referee course this is um you know the fa really uh, embraces that uh, opportunities are for all essentially but my role is to um deliver the course Deliver the modules um, over uh, over uh, what it is now eleven hours of face to face learning. Um, a lot of the learning is done through the online uh, module by the individual. Um, but essentially, uh, yeah. Then then at some point at the end of the course, I will um, mark that person and hopefully pass that person with, with with no issues. And then the idea is that that person will then go out and referee the first five games. And we want to support that referee within the first five games by giving them a mentor and, and providing that support for the first year um, that that's ultimately it. the key objective Apu, is is that we want to keep the referee um, forever we don't want to lose a referee um, and unfortunately because um, of reasons through support and lack of you know abuse we, we do lose a lot of referees in the first year yeah okay um, 
I mean, all right, let me, let's just talk about that for a moment then. In it, what, what do you think could be done to to try and decrease the amount of abuse that referees get? I mean, I see it at my boys' Sunday league level. Um, I see it at, well, I see it all levels throughout, including all the way up to the Premier League and even internationals as well. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I we haven't got the immediate fix for this question, by the way, Apu. Um, you know what? What, what we what, what what we can say is that football is about opinion, um, and and everybody will have an opinion down right down to um, the the football fan, um, right down to the the chairman of the the club who's watching the game will have an opinion on that match, and it's fair to say that football is very passionate. It's a quite, um, you know, it's very emotional when your team gets promoted or relegated. Uh, and unfortunately, referees do play a massive part in the process of that in terms of making match decisions. And, you know, and referees are not there to be popular either. You know, re- referees are now to be unpopular because of what, of, what, of what we do. You know, we are there and we are the ambassadors of the game. We are there to make decisions uh, based on application of law, decision-making through the game, keeping the game under control. And at times, we will need to give the player either a telling off or more severely the red card um now you know that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna hurt so so you know clearly there are emotions that go through the game but the the biggest problem we've that we have is is that a lot of people probably don't appreciate what we actually do um and a lot of the, the time that we that we put into the game and actually put in the uniform and then going out and and actually uh, doing the sunday the game that you talked about um, you know, what could be done to eradicate abuse? Well, there could be lots of things, I guess. You know, um, there could be a lot more um, sanctions faced on clubs. Um, you know, parents, um, you know, we, we, we could have a zero tolerance on parents not allowed to um, come to games. But then that wouldn't be the right thing to do because parents need to encourage their um, boy or girl playing playing football. So it's about really that, that balance, really. But what I will say is that, you know, the FA are trying their best in terms of we have the respect um, code of conduct, basically, where, you know, everybody's got to sign up to this code of conduct where and if they don't, there'll be some um, um, some penalties against those clubs. Um, fines, um, discipline, um, and, and, and ultimately, you won't get a referee. And that is the bottom line, Apu. If there is no referee on the match day, who is going to referee the match? Let me ask you that question. Nobody. Yeah. That is no, the fact, isn't it? Yeah, no, so, I, I completely get that. It's, and I, but I think you're right. It's such an emotional game. And that's the beauty of it. It is emotional. It's not rational. It's not clinical in that sense. And um, yeah, people have opinions and sometimes they take it too far. So uh, I guess a follow up question from that. Do you think actually two questions? The first one is, is there something, is there a particular aspect of football or refereeing that causes the most arguments? And secondly, I don't know if it's related to the first or not, do you think there's value in trying to get perhaps younger kids when doing an element of refereeing 
like courses or something just so they get an idea of what a little bit about what referees go through etc or perhaps just focus on the contentious parts possibly yeah, um, we'll go through the first question because that's one that I can um, that I can uh, answer probably best for you. The, the issue that we have is is that referees are all different people. Um, they've come from different walks of life. Um, as a as a South Asian referee, my challenges and my experiences will be um, slightly different to a possibly a white colleague that's going through the system. Um, what, what what I can say to you is that. For a fact, my personal experience is that I have had a different experience um, coming through the system. You know, um, for me, um, it's been a um, personal experience. It's been a little bit harder. Uh, I've had to probably prove myself. There's been a little bit more expectation fr- from me, perhaps. Um, and when I make a decision wrong, I'm not forgotten. They will remember me. Um, and they'll remember me because of the color of my skin. And, that, and that's a fact, Apu. You know, if I um, was to go back to the same ground, um, they would remember me and say, oh, ref, you're, you're, you're that ref that we had uh, three months ago where you didn't give that penalty towards us or something in the game. You know, there might be some banter at the time. But I say this, you know, with a pinch of salt. What I'm saying is, is that they would remember me. Um, but, but generically speaking, every referee will have their own views on how to deal with the game. And um, some, some things that are referee related are very subjective. Refereeing is a little bit black and white. Um, you know, we have the laws of the game. We have the 17 laws of the game. Um, and then we have the application and interpretation of the laws of the game. Now, um, you know, if every referee refereed uh, per the laws of the game, then the, the game wouldn't probably start because you would you would literally have to send every single player off the field of play. Um, so it's about the application. A lot of it is about the game management um, and, and how you essentially manage um, that decision um, and what's expected of you in that match. So expectation is is actually massive here um, in terms of um, your your first question. The second question is is a lot of is well. The second question is linked to probably um, we want to give referees a, a better insight. Um, into what they get themselves into. So we do actually have a lot of information on um, the FA.com. Um, the every single county FA has their own refereeing pages to give them a little bit of a flavor as to what refereeing is about. But the difficulty is with refereeing, you've actually got to give it a go before you think this is going to be okay for me because a lot of people may have already tried blowing the whistle in the, in the park or, you know, Apple, you know, you may have um, decided to be the linesman on one day because the linesman didn't turn up. Um, so you have a, a flavor of, of what it is. And, and actually that's quite difficult. Uh, believe me um, when, when they're asking you to do something that you're not used to doing. So imagine if you are going through a process and you're doing the course, then you are then given, given the powers to be. And of course, when you, enter the match for the first time, the public aren't going to know whether you are a new referee or a referee that's got five years experience. They're just going to just see you as a referee and start to uh, shout at you or disagree with the decision or the parents might tell you something. So it's, it's a lot about resilience. Um, and we, 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 we will teach people how to deal with resilience from the off and what they're getting themselves into from the off. That's really built in. As for me as a referee developer, I will literally tell them how it literally is or to give them enough enough 
tools that this is what you're going to be faced with on match day. Whereas if you go back to my journey, Apu, I told you that I was at the sharp end where I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready for the abuse. I wasn't ready to be shouted at, but something kept me going. What I'm saying now is, is I flipped the coin. I get the the young people ready for what they may actually get. And then it's down to the individuals um, to actually deal with that because they're aware. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it, it definitely answered some of it. Um, the other bit, which perhaps, perhaps you miss, misheard, um, but do you think there's value in players, actual players themselves, doing any kind of refereeing training or something? Like even if it's just a, a couple of modules or... Or something sure personal experience yes i think that's a great idea um and uh, some of the clubs that i'm poss- uh, possibly linked to within within lesser city you know i will always um because I, I'm, I'm very well established now and um you know sort of well respected within the communities i can go into a club and and, and talk about a particular aspect of the offside law or the fouls of misconduct law or we have a new law that come in um say the drop ball the drop ball is now changed now it's uh you know non-contested now great but unfortunately as a general rule um players don't want to learn the laws managers think they know the laws the players think they know the laws but actually when it comes to july the first when in june the, the new laws come out from ifab Nobody knows the laws of the game. It's only when the referee goes out there, implements the laws of the game, the ref, the players say, "Oh, referee, sure you can do that." Well, of course we can. It was they were circulated to you about three, like two months ago, and it's a surprise. So you are unfortunately educating them on the go. Is that the right thing to do? Probably not. But unfortunately, nobody's got the time to actually educate, train, develop players, and and coaches and managers and so forth. Really, um, yeah. Does it help to have former referees go in the media? So you see on Sky Sports and BT on a Monday or during the one of the broadcast, or look at certain decisions and get the referee's point of view? Because we always hear from a player's point of view what yeah. they think, right? Because they're always right and the ref's wrong, right? But does it help to have those former referees who experience the game to give that insight into what their ref is thinking and the laws they're applying? It's great, isn't it? It's decisions. great when you see a referee on TV because it's the it's it's not seen, it's it's not heard of. And you're right. Um, you know, we're getting more and more referees now that are able and allowed to actually come onto the media and talk about decisions. They won't be able to talk about um the referees like decision on the day based on the dialogue that they have with the referee, but they can give their opinion and their view on application of law, decision-making, and what was... Because again, I said to this earlier, there is that gray area where it becomes subjective. It becomes opinionated. Lack of consistency comes in as well. But the bottom line is we're seeing more and more referees. So Dermot Gallagher, for example, who comes on Sky Sports on a Monday morning and will talk about um, the, the weekend's clips basically and we need to see we need to see more of that we we, we are get we are seeing they are allowing us to do it a lot of referees um are probably want to talk about the decisions but probably can't because of the powers to be um because it would just open up a massive floodgate of of uh of, of questions and it you know it'd create more more um controversy and of course we all know what sells news um you know controversial decisions sell news it's a fact 
So we want to limit that really. And, uh, you know, again, but equally want the public to engage with the referees because quite often, even me as a referee, you know, I sometimes find it quite difficult to engage with, with, with either the fans or the clubs or players because they see me as the referee. And actually I am the referee, but, you know, there's actually a personality behind me, you know, because it's interesting after the game, they are so different towards me than either before or during. It's like they can actually talk to me after the game, but during the game and and before the game, I'm like probably somebody that they don't want to connect with. It's not cool to talk to the referee. Does that make sense? Um, but it's about yeah. how you break them barriers, you know, with, with players. And, and it comes down to your confidence um, and your ability to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. And I was speaking with um, a couple of grassroots coaches um, and they've mentioned in the past where they've spoken to the referee beforehand saying, look, I've got nothing against you in the line as well, but nothing against you, but we might say a few choice words. Yeah. It's not personal, but it's part of the heat of the moment, but yes. we're going to do this. Uh, do you ever have you ever had yeah, anyone I mean, before yeah. that come up to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, before the game, this is what I'm saying. Before the game, I don't mind anything like this before the game because I will, you, I will also, I will always, I will also set the scene and say, today, guys, I will make decisions that you won't be happy about. Today, I'm not here to be your mate. Today, I'm here to do a job. And, you know, there'll be times where I'm the unpopular guy today, um, but it's not because I want to be uh, the unpopular guy. You know, there'll be, there'll be things in the game that I may even get wrong today. But actually, I can say right now that your lads probably will make a few errors and they'll probably pass the ball incorrectly or the, the wrong touch here and the wrong touch there. Um, so, you know, but if you, you know, it's about, again, breaking the barriers, connecting with people and showing that you are human rather than this robot um, of a referee or, you know, slight bit of arrogance behind a particular referee. You know, the way I operate is uh, what you see right now is what you're going to get, you know, in terms of how I come across. But it's a very, very different referee to when I was 17. And today I'm 40 years old, you know, and, and it's purely because of life experience, of course, it is. Yeah. When you, I mean, the, the professional, in a professional game, the referees can't talk about the decisions they've made. How about at semi-pro and grassroots level? So are you on about during the game or after the game? After the game. So after the game, yeah, there's nothing stopping me from talking uh, about a decision um, after the game to to anybody. Um, like, in fact, it's probably encouraged because, like I said to you, the, the, the level that I'm at, you know, my, some of the games I'm refereeing are being videoed. Um, they're out in the public domain. So, you know, I can't behind, behind, behind a decision. If I've got a handball on the goal line wrong, I've got it wrong. I can't defend that decision. Um, so... And equally, there'll be, uh, like I say, the, an, an independent assessor there moderating my performance. So straight after the game, there's going to be one person knocking on my on, on the referee's dressing room door. And if it's a soft knock, I know it's the assessor. If it's a very loud knock, we know what's coming. Um, somebody's coming in to ask me about a decision. So you can you almost expect that as a as a referee, Apu. And I've you know throughout my time as a referee, I know how to judge that knock on the door, you know, and how I'm going to pitch that. But also as a referee, when you blow for full time, you know that you're going to be expect your people are going to want to talk to you today about about decisions. So you need to be ready for that. You cannot hide from that. Okay, so you could just say I'm not talking to you. Getting change getting into your car, 
and going away. However, you've got to think about your reputation. And if I've not said this already, not only are you moderated by the independent assessor, but you're moderated by the clubs. So in order to gain promotion, each club needs to moderate you out of 100. Um, and that those marks are put into a almost like a Premier League table and calculated at the end of the season. And then you are moderated on your performance and then you are given a, a place in the table for you to get a promotion. So it's equally important that you communicate with the clubs you're open and transparent with the clubs and you are approachable. Um, and more, more importantly with this one, it's about being honest about your performance and reflecting on your decision-making. Yeah, so hopefully that answers your question. It does, yeah. Zee, do you have a question? Yeah, um, so this an argument that gets made about the pace of the game, right? And referees need to keep up with it as well. So I was listening to, I can't remember which station I was listening to in recent last three days. And they're talking about the, the pace of the players is getting faster. But what's the situation with referees now? Are they full-time referees? Is they all that they're concentrating on? Or are they working other jobs as well and then doing refereeing as well? And as football is becoming professional and even in the same professional ranks, you've got pro players are coming down or players who are be more professional now. Is there a need for referees to be full-time referees and be completely immersed in the game in terms of fitness and everything else rather than the current situation? I mean, what, what is the sure. current situation? I'll give, you, to I'll give you a quick overview. Then. So we start at the top then. So if you talk about the Premier League referees, everybody on the Premier League, whether you're the referee or whether you, you're the, the assistant referee, is full-time. Um, it became full-time um, some, some time ago now. They're part of the professional game. Um, match officials, um, you know, they've got, they're, they're called the PD. GMOL. That, that's the limit. That, you know, that's the limited company, and they work for the PGMOL. So effectively, they are contracted and they are full time. They literally do the same things that you just talked about. Now they train, they analyze, they go through their games, um, and they are for, for full time employees on a contract. As you go down the pyramid, so championship, the referees in the championship are all full time, but the assistant referees are not. They're part time. And as you come down the pyramid, League One. League two and into the conference and then um, steps uh, one to seven. So steps one to seven is the non-league pyramid. I fall into steps three and six. So that's where I am. Um, we're all considered to be part-time. I will say this though, is that the word part-time, it can be taken as a pinch of salt because, you know, part-time could mean um, one hour. It could mean 50 hours. Um, I have to put a lot of training um, on the field and off the field, not only with my fitness, but with my development, with my with my uh, with the coaching that I do, with the development um, and work that I have to undertake. You know, um, I'm part of a talent ID program, so I'm I have to attend six meetings a year around uh, around effectively effectively getting better, improving. Continuous improvement is key. So I'm part of what we call core, which is a center of excellence of refereeing. Um, so you know there are 500 people in the core program, and I'm one of them in nationally in, in the country. And what that actually means is that I've worked really hard to get to where I am because the FA have this thing about where they're investing in me and this guy's got talent and potential to get to the next level. And that's where I want to be. But to get to the next level, you have to be better than your competition. There's no doubt about what I'm saying here. I'm not going to give you any lies here. You are competing with your colleagues. It's no different to a football player in an academy that wants to break through 
and, and make it into that academy to get a contract. The same thing in refereeing, guys. You have to get through that system somehow. you got the percentages count. You know, the 0.01%, that counts. Because when you've been marked at the end of the table, end of the season, that's going to count for promotion and all. And that's when you get the letter from the FA to say that you've got promotion. And that's how it is. So those are the decisions that can have, those, those decisions on the field of play that I talked to you about, that handball on the line, that 90th minute burst that I've got to make from one box to the next box because that player might go down. And I've got to judge whether it's a penalty or whether it's simulation. I've got to get that right. And these are the things that I'm judged on, guys, that make that 1% to get to the next level. Um, it's cutthroat environment, guys. Honestly, it is. Okay. What does your day look like? Well, when you've got a game coming up, how do you begin the day? What's your preparation? Yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a good question, result. unfortunately, because I'm a working man, nine to five. You know, my day job is the job that pays my bills and puts food on, on the table for me and my family. So that has to come first. So I have an extra pressure. You know, I've got to make sure that I've got enough rest before before match day. So that comes into my coming to my preparation. I've got to go to bed at the right time. I've got to eat the right food, eat, drink the amount of water before the game. And this is before the game. Then I've got the working day. If I'm working, in, if it's a Tuesday game, I've got to factor that in. But if it's a Saturday, Saturday is generally a day where I'm off. So then I would have done the preparation in the morning. It's going to be a case of some light breakfast. Um, and then making sure that my bag's ready, making sure I know where I'm going. Um, the travel that I do is probably around a 50-mile radius currently within with, within the UK. So I said that was Midlands-based. You know, I'm traveling anything between 15 and 60 miles one way. So I've got a factor in my travel time um, and then some some light lunch. So I've I will say that I have beans on toast is my is is my favorite uh, lunchtime meal. Very light, gives me energy, and I don't need to eat anything then before match day. Um, so then, yeah, effectively, you know, and then. I may have, my coach may be calling me on it. In fact, it's every Saturday morning, my coach will call me to say, right, what we got today then? And we'll go through a bit of a checklist. You know, we'll, we'll go through preparation. We'll look at the teams where they are in, in the league. We'll have a look at the social media posts to see what's going on around social media. It's just about being aware. And then I need to look at my assistant referees, where they're coming from. They might be coming from different parts of the country. So again, all that preparation work is done be before the week to, to plan for the day. And then, of course, you then travel into the game. And then, you know, you've got to arrive at the game um, either one and a half hours before the game or some games at least one hour, 15 minutes before the game. And then you arrive. Um, and then, and then you know, you've got a set routine as you arrive. You've got to check the field of play. Uh, you've got to make sure you've... You've done all your checks. You've then met the uh, the match day observer, uh, and then and then really that countdown from like one forty five to five to three it goes so quick. Uh, the warm up comes in, the pre match instructions. I will talk to my two assistant referees and tell them what I expect from them today. Essentially, it's about making decisions today. And it's about key decisions. We don't want to be judged on making a throwing wrong. We don't mind about getting a throwing wrong to be honest to thee, in the middle of the field, who cares about throwing? But if the player went down for a penalty and we did not see that, that's a key match decision. Or handball on the line. If nobody's picked that up, that's a key match decision. That's a game changer. So we've got to get the key match decisions right in the game. And my focus is about getting the best about my team um, to, to ensure that we have the best game possible and the experience experience is the best and hopefully we get like 22 handshakes from the players after the game and nobody's complaining about the referee that's the ultimate objective but of course there are loads of things that come into 
factor there. You know, I've, I've already explained, you know, you might have a red card in the game, which is a bit controversial. Um, but let's be fair, I will also say this too. The level I'm refereeing at, players know what red card is. Players know what yellow card is. There's no there's no real, like, abuse for that. You know, they, they know what's... Uh, they, the players get paid up the level that I referee at. So there's a lot of stake for them as well to get things right, basically. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a flavour as to... What, um, what I'm saying but my personal goal yes I still got a lot more to offer I want to get to level three which is you know the the next level up I've been at level four now for far too long um, but other things have come into play you know I've had uh, other roles within football that have that have flourished and I've, I've, I've developed you know in training I've developed in education I also sit on the anti-discrimination panel at the FA you know and we we um, you know I'm on I'm a wing member so we listen to red card offenses and we listen to misconduct cases so I've got so many different roles in football refereeing is not just my only job um, but refereeing is what I started and referees my bread and butter yeah yeah so i'm going to move on to asians and football the first question i'm going to ask is i don't know if you've got an answer to that i don't know if you'd be willing to answer that you must have come across situations where you're refereeing an asian team against a non-asian team and do you feel any kind of pressure in that situation to either i don't could go either way you might i don't i don't know i mean it's i know when i've refereed the odd game for my boys team or when our linesman is I notice all the internal sorry the external pressures and how they're affecting me etc what I will say is that um it's really refreshing to see more South Asians in football it's really refreshing and as a referee for 25 years now at grassroots and coming into the semi-pro game there's still a lack of South Asians in football at probably the highest level um, and that's disappointing but when I do see South Asians in football you know of course they're noticeable they're visible aren't they because you 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 see um, you don't see it week in and week out so it's refreshing from that point of view it's I will never go into a game thinking that I've got to give them a decision um, because they are the same colour as me, um, because that would be the wrong thing to do. But what, what I will say is that subconsciously, there may be the expectation from either side, either party, that I am probably being biased or unbiased against a certain side. Um, but when you when you have, um, we all say the first 10 minutes of the match as a referee sets your stall. Um, the first 10 minutes are key, basically, with whatever decision you're going to give. And that first 10 minutes sets the scene. So hopefully in those 10 minutes, I've already set the scene. This is the sort of referee I am today. I'm not going to stand for any rubbish. I'm not going to, you know, this is what I'm about. Um, so there is there is no extra um, pressure on me as such. But then equally, there is nothing to suggest that I'm going to be slightly more favorable to one side or another. I'll go back to my earlier point it's really refreshing to see more South Asians playing in football. Um, and one thing I haven't um, alluded to, actually, uh, to the both of you, but um, I actually uh, am an ambassador for referee recruitment around BME. So um, so as part of my county FA, that's Leicester FA, I support Leicester FA, um, and actually on a national level now as well, where we look to increase participation and grow 
people into the game. So we want more South Asians becoming referees. And as a role model, go out and engage with them in schools and colleges and promote refereeing to get them involved, give them the appetite of refereeing, get them onto a referee course, educate them, develop them. And then, you know, they're actually out on the other side refereeing and then we want to keep them. So I actually do support the FA with these initiatives. And, you know, we have got some very strong targets, but it's still, still very disappointing that a lot of South Asians won't pick up the whistle um, for lots of reasons. Um, A, because um, it could be some peer pressure from parents not not wanting them to do so. But e, but equally B, um, they've just got no interest. Nothing excites them about being a referee. What sort of age group are you looking to attract? I know you've got to take a variety, but if you had a preference as such, what sort of age group are you targeting? I mean, when we say targeting, so, so you know, I, I, I would say that we, you know, football is for all. Let's be clear about this. But there are arguments to say that the younger the referee is, the more opportunity they have to stay within the game for a longer period of time. So if you invest in a 14-year-old, you're more likely to keep them for the 30 plus years and giving them the opportunity to get into the professional game. Whereas if you say you've got a 40 year old that starts quite late, what are the realistic chances of that person making it, you know, into the professional game? Probably limited, but then equally that 40 year old or however old you are will know where you want to develop and where you want to get to so you know refereeing is for all there is no set age um there's there are no targets um with regards to that refereeing you have to be 14 years and above to become a, a referee and we um i guess um you know on paper when i do a referee course the majority of the classroom is um, between 14 and 17 years old. So about probably 80% of my classroom are from the younger generation. And that tells you the story. That tells you that those are the only interested people. And the majority of them are white, white boys that come on the referee course and enter the system, go through the pyramid, and then come out the other side. You know, what we're looking to do is, I guess, tap into those other um markets where we can look at the South Asians, look at the Bangladesh community, the Somali community, Afro-Caribbean, and other ethnic minority group groups, female, uh, f- females is a big, big uh, priority for us as well, and, and make sure that we know that refereeing is for all, and we want to give you the same opportunity. So my job is to go out there, provide an appetite, give them an appetite of what it is, why, what the benefits are of becoming a referee, not just pain progression, health, mental mental health well-being. There's a physical aspect of it. There's participation. There's there's all those other things that are great about refereeing. It's not just about the money, um, you know, or it's not just about getting promotion. There are a lot more other things that that people see why refereeing is attractive. And for me, you know, the lock the lockdown has been really hard for all of us, right? But when refereeing was taken away from me it, it that was a mental resilience thing because refereeing is quite often a, an escape from your normal 95 you know your 95 routine and to go out there and not do anything was quite a challenge so when i talk about why you become a referee it's about it dealing with your your own mental health and keeping your mind in check yeah Okay, so at the, t- at the top level the premier league level pgmol look after referees for the rest of the football pyramid, do referees fall under the FA's remit? Sure. So with regards to that, it's a good question. So um, at 
probably levels seven to five, so seven, six, and five, you are looked after by your own respective county FAs. So every single um, county FA, which there are 50 county FAs nationwide up and down the country, you are effectively looked after by your own county FA. At levels four to, so as you go up four to probably two, uh, two, you are looked after by the FA. Um, the, the FA look after your appointments, your administration, your development, your training. Uh, and then really when you get to level one and above, you are then you are then entering the professional game where you're looked after by the PGMOL. Um, and then of course, they, then you have FIFA that um, are the above the PGMOL. Uh, but uh, that gives you a really good uh, pyramid, insight into the uh, pyramid. But what I will say outside of that as well, Apu, is that I have built um, a massive network of friends um, within refereeing. I have level one referees um, that I can reach to, you know, right now for support, uh, referees out in the Premier League. But then equally, there are referees down the pyramid where I'm supporting, uh, where I'm mentoring, because I know how difficult it is being at the sharp end. So we're all in it to help each other. Refereeing is a family. It's not seen to be a um uh, a me and quite lonely because it's quite a lonely sport when you when you when you come through but i can say that there are uh, massive amounts of people that want to help and support referees and i can't say that enough that there is ample amount of support out there it's just about reaching into those those support network groups and you know south asians being, being a south asian you know it was definitely as i said to you before it was quite tough before but but now the opportunities as a south asian referee is that there's a support mechanism in place you know we have a bame support group um, predominantly for people that are coming through the system that need that little bit of that nurture, that support, um, that shoulder, perhaps that phone call. You know, if they can't connect with their county FA, we have a, a national a body where they can come to us for support. And we're known as the BAME Referee Support Network Group. Yeah, so recently I've seen, uh, you mentioned the PGMOL, and uh, they've been quite um, vocal, I'd say, and quite present in their Breaking Barriers series they've been doing. Um, do you think that helps? Because obviously they're, they're showing referees and, and the diversity in, in referees in terms of female referees, in terms of uh, South Asians with the, the Gill brothers and also black referees as well. That being a, on that platform, I wasn't aware that the PGMO was a different business and aside from the FA, which is it's good to see, I guess, in terms of the professionalism of it. Um, does that filter down then as well? Do you get the, if you're, Part of the so where you are right now is what level four. Do you get that kind of access to those referees at level one and above with the PGMOL, etc., for advice and and just kind of in terms of mentoring and support as well? Do you get sure. do you get it's that? It's a great question and it's a great observation that you've made as well, um, Z, because you're right. Um, first thing I would like to also say, just for 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 all the listeners as well, that it's fair to say that that referees up and down the country are underrepresented from those ethnic groups it's a fact you know um and the percentages um do not lie like we currently have about probably just under i would say uh, you know one and a half thousand uh, south asian referees um or even probably bame referees um in, in the whole country um you know we're not entirely certain of the numbers just yet because when you register as a referee you don't have to self-define yourself when you fill out the form you haven't got to say that i'm white British or I'm white, uh, Asian, 
legally, you don't have to do that. So how do you collect the data? Um, it's very difficult to collect the data. So it's a bit of an estimate, really, in terms of what the data looks like. But what I can say is, is that it's it's a fact that there are clearly not enough of us. And um, clearly at level one at the moment, we have a referee called Sam Allison, who is the only black referee that we currently have in the professional system. That's just not acceptable. Um, and then when we look down below that, we've got referees that are trying to break those barriers, like you say, or in the talent ID program, and I'm one of them, and trying to break through. But the problem is, is, is there's a slight bottleneck there. And how do you break through? There's different challenges that come through that as well, which which all the breaking barriers is all about. Breaking barriers is, is great because it's all about trying to identify the FA, of, the FA and the PGML have realized that, you know, this is a real concern to them. Uh, and they are actively trying to promote the game to the, the non-football person and because it's great. Because if you're a non-football person, like you just come on and said right now that you weren't aware about the PGML, that's great. They've done their job by coming out and, and, and talking about their brand and their identity and what they're trying to achieve. Um, so, you know, I've got to say, I take my hats off in 2021 that I'm seeing some real positive change and some tangible change not just words but action as well now that the fa and the pgml are taking towards breaking barriers and trying to um uh, basically eff effectively reach out to the communities to get people people into refereeing okay um so in terms of your question about access, um, so yes, we, we have got access uh, at different levels of the game. As a level four referee, I've got access being part of the, the core program, which is the talent ID program. I've got access at a very similar level, perhaps not at the same exposure level as breaking barriers, but ultimately the same stakeholders are probably involved in that training, that development. Um, what breaking barriers is all about is just highlighting that, you know, each week there is an emphasis on on a different characteristic in terms of, um, you know, what it might be. So recently, just Thursday gone, we had the disability um, uh, profile on that one. The week before that, it was, the, like you say, the Gill brothers. Um, and, and then I believe this Thursday, uh, I think Les Ferdinand is on there um, with um, with two of the colleagues. So, you know, breaking barriers is great, but, but why has it only happened in 2021? Like, you know, Quality, diversity, and inclusion has been around before I was born, um, but but we're just talking about it right now. Okay, I can't I can't argue. I can't speak for that. What I can say though is that to summarise that it's great that we're seeing um, some real change now, and this is what we want to do. Is it too late? I don't know whether it's too late. I can only speak for the timeline that we are in right now. At least we're making some positive change. Just on that point, I don't, I don't think it's too. I don't, I don't think it's never, it's never too late, right? Um, the best time to start probably would have been yesterday. The next best time to start today, right? So as long as seen, as long as we're seeing action being done, it's a step in the right direction. So first you do the, the identifying, then the talking, and then the action, right? So now we're at the action part. We're seeing some kind of action. The next part is what's next and i think that's the important question so in terms of what you're seeing right now what would you like to see next so you've seen obviously breaking barriers is a great program in itself what's happening there in terms of visibility and i guess we're getting the access to that information that we wouldn't have been privy to previously and also to icons and role models and then people who could uh, influence others into 
stepping up and taking up the job. Well, what I would say is that, but also people, a lot of people don't actually know what's actually happening. So, you know, every single county FA has a, what they call now an inclusion advisory group. So this is a a group set up from, from either um, me as a referee, I'm part of the, um, what they call an IAG group. It's called the inclusion advisory group. You've got different stakeholders from different people that are that are part of these uh, groups, and there's, there's, there should be an IAG in every single county FA. Um, so, so the FA have their own IAG, and the PGMO will have their own IAG as well. So, just to give you some context, you know, there's been whichever way you look at it, there's been some pressure from from um, external pressure, but some internal pressure as well that we need to have. We need to embrace change now, and whether it's come from the IAG or whether it's come from whoever, you know, could could have come from Ed, Edline John, who's the senior. The, director of the FA in the equality department, you don't know. But it's fair to say that change is happening. In terms of um, uh, what you've, um, you know, in terms of what you've asked about next steps, is that we just need to continue um, the the level of, of exposure that we're getting from the PGMOL. Um, you know, also, um, you know, on the BBC, um, we're seeing more and more female pundits. Um, it's visible. It's visible change. Um, and that's really good because people connect to that. If people see it, they believe it, basically. So we need to see more of that. What I'd like to see is from a referee point of view, we need to recruit more South Asians in football because that's that's my heritage. That's, that's where I started. That's what I believe in. And that's what my that's what my passion is. So that's where I would like, you know, the, you know if I had a magic wand, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see lots of different um, things happening in different county FAs. But I realize that, you know, the likes of perhaps um, no disrespect, I'm going to pick a county FA, Devon, for example, may not have that much South Asians in their demographics in terms of the census data, whereas Leicester, uh, Leeds, Bolton, Manchester, Birmingham, Midlands, you know, all them areas, you know, there are high clusters of people of South Asians. Let's give them the opportunity. Let's talk to them about refereeing. Let's give them the appetite. Who knows? They actually might want to become referees. So we just need to keep this this momentum, this pressure, uh, whether it's external or internal, on the forefront, so we keep talking about the same old thing and it's not forgotten about. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think um, this term that you used earlier on in the chat, yes. uh, about continuous improvement, right? It's the, the Japanese yes. term for it, yes. Kaizen, the continuous development, continuous improvement. That's what we want to see. So, I'd agree with you completely on that point. What sort of initiatives, are there any specific initiatives to try and recruit more South Asians from, I mean, from what you know about either the Leicestershire FA or anything that you're involved with, with the FA itself? Yeah, so we are we have got some um, initiatives that are that are ongoing. Actually, um, you know, ultimately one of them is to become get them on a referee course, um, and 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 that is the the ultimate um, objective, I guess. But you know, there are there are things that we are we are looking at. We are you know, can we? Um, can we like look at because when you become a coach, there are bursaries for for BAME BAME coaches. You know, it's not quite there with with the refereeing um, right now. But you know, I, I I can say that I'm speaking to the national FA currently about applying for a small pot of funding, perhaps where I can um, use that 
at Leicester FA, where I can go into the communities, into some, uh, for the better word, hotspot hotspot areas where I know that there is a high cluster of South Asians to provide, give them the appetite, and maybe we could, um, you know, supplement their, uh, their, you know, their course fee or, or give them a discount of some sort. I, I don't know what uh, might, you know, might be out there, but um, you know, it, it may well be that we can. Uh, give them a, a free referee uniform I, I don't know uh, but 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 certainly from a from a support package what what I can say is that you know as a BAME referee and as a BAME mentor and I'm, I've already mentioned that I'm part of the BAME referee support network group nationally I want to be able to support referees from their the beginning of their journey and to provide them that continuous support because you know, support is invaluable. Like literally, you cannot put a value on how much support is because without that support, you're going to lose that referee. But if we can give that support, whether it's monthly support or whether it's uh, uh, weekly on some with some referees, then we're more likely to keep them in the game and more and more likely to to have a better experience when you've got a, a kids match, for example, where you know the parents not having to volunteer become the referee because there's no referee turned up today. So um, it's a tough one i'll be honest with you i put initiatives is always a tough one especially when budgets are stretched massively and there's been massive cuts um with the covid um 19 hasn't uh really really helped in terms of budgets and everything else um it's not really helped with referee coverage either and referee recruitment but you know we're just coming out of this now aren't we so you know we've got some light to the end of the tunnel and and you know we, we, we you know we've got a little bit of a clearer roadmap in terms of where we want to go at leicester fra we've got about probably 80 referees that want to become referees that are in the pipeline so we want to get them all on a referee course throughout the summer and, and get them out refereeing ready for next season yeah you mentioned the fact that there's only one black professional referee at the moment. Um, Asian numbers are very small as well. Um, now, predominantly on this podcast, we've talked about players. Um, we've identified lots and lots of reasons why there aren't as many professional Asian football players. Well, that it doesn't reflect the numbers in terms of percentage terms and numbers that either play or exist as a population. And some of it is to do with sort of unconscious bias and um, stereotypes, etc. How about with refereeing? Is there, you said, you mentioned bottleneck before, is the bottleneck to do with subjective opinions? Is it just purely lack of numbers? I think it's a combination of both. Um, it's a clear fact that throughout, in refereeing itself, the numbers um, are not reflective of um, the communities. Um, so there simply are enough of us in the system already. And then the ones that are in the system, there's a few of us that leave the game because of either unconscious bias, lack of support, lack of training, out on right, out on outright, maybe racism, who knows? Um, it could be that they've left because of a, a personal hearing case that's gone against them or they've been suspended or whatever else. You know, the bottom line is there are enough of us. Um, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be probably uh, be lying if there wasn't uh, any unconscious bias um, that, that is either um, within, within um, the, the, you know, the, the different stakeholders within football. I think... I think it's fair to say that there's probably a little bit of that. You know, we 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 all want to um, try and avoid that if we can. Um, so we are trying to. Um, I, I know that there are talks at the minute of of 
uh, training um, around unconscious bias, around um, the the different observers that that, are, that, that moderate your marks. Because you know, if you get, I've already said this before, to to progress, you need the moderation mark to be um, of the of the standard of what you think the mark should have been. So if it's down to subjective. Um, opinion you're not going to get that mark from the from the from the assessor and then you're not going to attain promotion so um, you're effectively stuck and then when I talk about the bottleneck that's what I mean is is you know where where there is some unconscious bias and and, and that's where we perhaps need to eradicate that I've already said to you before as a South Asian referee if I've gone to a football ground and for whatever reason things haven't worked out right or things have gone really really well for me but equally, the mark hasn't been rewarded by the clubs because ah, he's just he's just a he's just a referee, isn't he? You know, we don't we don't we need we don't need to mark him, or they always mark seventy five or whatever it is, you know. You know, so these are the things about a bottleneck, you know. And this is this is my point. Unfortunately, it's a it's a cutthroat environment at level four and at level three where the marks are critical to your progression. Um, but there is some work going on at the minute. There is a piece of work that is ongoing at the minute around unconscious bias training. Yeah. Last question then. Um, if, so, what what would you like to say to to potential listeners who might be interested in refereeing or might be more interested in getting their kids in? What has refereeing given to you? What enjoyment has has it given to you? So, first and foremost, refereeing has changed my life forever, and I can't. I have to get that out there. Literally, it's changed my life. I am. Um, um, so much more um, confident. Um, I'm able to engage and communicate with people. I'm able to make decisions. Um, and these decisions are just day-to-day decisions, uh, Apu. Um, like in your day-to-day life, um, you know, you're as a referee, ultimately you make decisions. And when you are a referee, you think the same when you are not a referee. Say, say for, I don't know, I can't even give, give, give you an example about that, but you know, sometimes we are a little bit undecided as people because we, we have too many choices. As referees, you're programmed to make decisions quickly. Um, you know, so so putting putting aside the money and the pay and the progression and everything else, it's the it's it's just what the career development i've made friendships i've um i live a much healthier lifestyle i've got a purpose i've got an objective in life um i feel valued um i'm making positive change um and more more equally is open up doors within the fa you know i've got roles in within football now um at the fa and and, and at county fa so there is opportunity for everybody not just it's not just about um the, the the small little bits that you might get a refereeing refereeing will give you so much if you just give it a chance um yeah so that's that's my closing line sold <laughs> yeah Minish thank you very much for your time well I hope it's been of use to you both and I hope I've been able to inspire anybody and if anybody wants to reach out to me uh, if they've heard this podcast I've got no issues in giving you my email i can give it to you right now if you want um send it to me i'll put it in the show notes yeah 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 i mean i really really want uh, to you know give that support i've already got a question about refereeing um doesn't matter what part of the country you're from reach out to me by email i'll be more than happy to help you or to signpost you to your county fa um but yeah thank you very much for listening